Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. So this morning we're going to be finishing up our vision series. Over the course of the past three weeks, we've uh, talked about and talked through what our vision here at Vineyard Cleveland is and what we sense that God has laid on our hearts to carry into the community around us. And we talked about where vision comes from, that vision springs forward from a sense of shared values together. There are certain ways we said that you parent your kids, that you work, that you, um, that you do all of the things that inform the vision for your life. And so the first week, we talked about living presence. We talked about the presence of God and how vineyard churches, our, our church is unique in this, is different in this, that we expect for the presence of God to show up. We don't just talk about him, as my friend Ben says, like he's not really here. That really we believe that the Holy Spirit, that God is walking the roads this morning. Such an audacious, foolish thing to believe, I know. (laughs) Right? But that he shows up and he actually cares about us. And so we expect his presence in this place. When we gather together, we expect God to show up. And we welcome him. We pray, come Holy Spirit. We, we want more of your presence in our lives, whatever that looks like. We talked about how that's a vulnerable prayer to pray because we're not really sure what God is going to do with us when he does show up. But we're saying, yes, Lord, come. So we talked about living presence the first week. And then the second week, we talked about authentic community. And I quite like that talking about that one the most. I, I feel like authentic community, there's so much packed in that. And simply that we are real people, that we're real about our struggles, that we're real about our joys, that we're transparent in the way that we live our lives. You know, that we can have a safe place where people won't judge us for messing up, that people will celebrate with us when things are going well. We talked about the mosaic of the church. We talked about how it's a gift that the person who's like sitting next to you, that they don't vote the same way as you do. That they raise their kids differently than you do. And that that's a gift. That's where the lab of community happens. We talked about how the dream of community, if the aim here of, of Vineyard Cleveland, of like doing church is uh, unity or community, then we'll kill community in the process. But all of these things are based from a point of love, from a foundation of love. And when our aim is to love one another, then community happens as a byproduct of that love for one another. That's a tough assignment. We talked about an authentic community. And then last week, we talked about outward-focused life, that we don't live for ourselves, and that when we choose to live for ourselves, our, our lives become small and like encapsulated. And it's not really living at all. It's simply existing. But when we choose to give our lives away in service for others, in service to Jesus, we find life bubbles up within us. We find that 
we can experience joy when we give our lives away. That our time is not really our own. That our resources aren't really our own. And that there are relationships that God is placing in our lives that we might be the hands and feet of Jesus to others. And we talked about the element of like how it's so common in the church today of this like kind of, uh, um, and we love them, we love the church, but it's so common today of this theme of like, we're going to take back our cities for God and take back our country for God. And that's not what we do here. We don't do that. Rather, we bend low. We pick up the towel and we wash the feet of the city. We serve. We, we lead from a place of servant leadership. And that's how we do life. And these are sort of like three components or like legs of a stool that make up the vision at our church, which is to bring life to the city. We want to bring life to the city in everything that we say and everything that we do. And we want, we, want to, we want to close the gap between what we say and what we do. So oftentimes, church is a place where people's words don't match up with their actions. And we don't want to be that. We want our actions to match up with the words that are coming out of our mouths. That if we say we love Jesus, then love will do. Love will act. And so we're bringing life to the city. And what I wanted to do this morning is to take a look at, to kind of put a, I don't know if it's going to be a neat and tidy bow, but to place kind of a bow on the series and finish the series by taking a look at where we are right now and a look at where we'll be in the future, perhaps, and a look at then what will be required of us. So right now is a tough um, is a tough present moment to kind of wrap our heads around. How many would agree with that? It can be a confusing time, the time that we live in. It can be a very exciting time. There's technological advancements that are beyond what anybody who's over the age of 70 thought that they would see. Blazing fast. And with those advancements come advancements in medicine and and how we do relationship with one another that can be positive. And it's coupled with this sense of like extreme loneliness around the globe as well. We see in our world today that there are conflicts all over the globe. It's nothing new. There, haven't, there hasn't been a time of more than 30 years on the face of the earth where two tribes or two nations weren't warring with one another. So it's nothing new, but right now seems to be particularly a time of conflict. As we look over at the Middle East and we see the conflict between Hamas and the Israeli nation, we see the trouble that folks in Gaza are experiencing. We look to Europe and we see a, um, a strong arm leader, dictator type, just push his way in on a whim and say, hey, I might as well take over this country today. Very fragile. The state of nations very fragile today. When we look around, there's conflict everywhere. Closer to home, you know, there's conflict in our, in, in, in our streets. There's conflict relationally between uh, couples and 
Uh, there's conflict in school systems. We're told of a, a school shooting now like every other month or something. And we're sort of left with this sense as I've been praying and thinking about like the year to come and where we are presently. We're kind of left with the sense of like the slowly, and I don't know, maybe I'm alone in this and maybe you sense it too, but there's like the sense of like the temperature is just raising around us and you feel caught in the middle. And it's kind of like that illustration of the, the frog in a, in a boiling pot of water where the water's cold and the frog goes in the pot and slowly the gas stove is turned up and the heat turns up until finally it's a boil and the frog is caught in the boiling water. There seems to be this rising sense of anxiety around us. Do you guys feel that? We're not to February yet and January has started uh, this winter has started like, okay, it's relatively peaceful and calm in the United States around us with our neighbors, but there's this kind of tedious, there's this kind of like, I don't, are, is this going to, what's going to happen? Particularly, I believe that the second half of the year, and I'm not here to be like a soothsayer or anything, but I believe that the second half of the year will be a, a tough time for us to experience. I don't know how else to say it. And so right now, there are things that we can be doing to ready our hearts and to position our hearts to be a blessing to people around us. Our vision remains the same. We will bring life to the city no matter what state the world is in. Our vision is secure in that. But the second half of the year will require something of us that we don't yet have. And that's what I'd like to speak to this morning. It's going to require of us a courage that we don't know yet. And so this time in the present, and I might just be talking from left field, but this time in the present, I sense, is a time of preparation that Vineyard Cleveland, that the hearts that are gathered here in this room would be a sanctuary, would be a refuge for people who are burnt out on their cell phones and just looking for some quiet and some silence and some peace, who are tired of turning on the news and seeing one political candidate or the other uh, promise them something that they'll never come through on. Tired of seeing leaders uh, fail and lie over and over and over again. Exhausted by the failed political system we see in our country. Vineyard Cleveland, we're called to be a people who are a refuge, a harbor for people who are seeking the real thing. Who are seeking solace for their souls rest and peace for their souls. And when everything feels like it's chaotic around us, we're to be people who choose hope and choose courage. We choose the presence of God. We choose to live life with each other, not against each other. And we choose to lean out into the city and not shrink back from it. There's this verse in Hebrews, it's Hebrews 10, 39, 
And the writer of Hebrews says this, But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Shrink back is an interesting kind of phrase in the Greek. What, sh- what this phrase in the Greek means is, is not sudden. It's not a reactive phrase, like somebody is, is hiding behind a corner. Have you seen those videos on, on TikTok or Instagram where like the, the, the couple, it's like a husband and wife, and the husband is always like scaring the wife? And you're like, that's got to be staged. And they, it's so elaborate, and they'll go to great lengths to, like, tie these balloons filled with, like, wet flour, and then they'll shoot it with, like, dart guns as the wife is walking through the hallway, and it'll, like, spill all over her, and she's like, ah! She's, like, freaking out, and the husband's like, ah! Have you seen these? Yeah, they're all over the internet. To shrink back is not that. It's not reactive. It's not sudden, like somebody's jolting you. It's more gradual. It means to... Slowly pull away from, to draw back. The picture is is when your dog does something wrong and knows it. And what happens with that tail that's been wagging that's so happy to see you home and you figure out that they've figured out that you figured out that they've ruined your couch. That tail starts to drop below, beneath their legs. That's what it means to shrink back. And the writer of Hebrews says that we don't belong to those who shrink back. What we're seeing today is a shrinking back in the church, and it looks a couple of different ways. It looks a couple of different ways. Whether it's, giving, uh, whether it's the church giving their allegiance to places that they shouldn't give their allegiance to, one. Or it's a shrinking back of like, this is too hard, it's too complex, I'm out. But there is a shrinking back that's happening right now. And the writer of Hebrews says that we do not belong to those who pull away, who draw back. And what that means for us is that even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, when it's complex, when it's confusing around us, what is going on? What will happen when the future is uncertain? That we would actually lean into the uncertainty, but not shrink back. That we'd actually be okay with sort of the confusion that's happening around us. Because we know that if we have the presence of God with us, that anything that comes our way, we'll be able to face with hope. Because we have Him. We have Him. So we're not of the people who shrink back. We don't draw back. The word courage is one that's not used a whole lot today. The word courage is a a Latin word. It's a Latin word that means the strength of heart. And so when you encourage someone else, what you're actually doing to encourage your... your, um, The scriptures say when you encourage someone else, you're actually putting the strength of your heart into them. You see it? We're told all over scripture to take courage to strengthen our own hearts, to strengthen the hearts of others. And that's why precisely 
fellowship amongst the church is so important. We need that from one another. In this time that's coming, we'll need to be encouraged and encouragers of others. And that's super countercultural because no one's encouraging each other right now, at least in the right ways. We, we love to poo-poo on other people's like achievements and not celebrate them. It's a terrible trait that the church has. But Vineyard Cleveland, let's be people who celebrate the achievements of others. Let's be a people who mourn with others to encourage them when they're sad, when they're depressed, when they sense heaviness on their life. Let's be a people who encourage and put the strength that is in our hearts into theirs. The word strength is funny these days because it seems to be that leaders, politicians, businessmen and women, organizations seem to confuse the word strength with power. And they're not the same word. There's an implication in the word power that says that I'm stronger physically than you and I will beat you into submission so that you know you are weaker than I. Strength is not that. Showing strength is not a power struggle. Strength is different than that. To encourage means to put the strength of your heart, all of those things that you've experienced that were painful, that were traumatic, that were difficult for you, all of those things that were heavy on your life, that you made it through to the other side, and you take that, and you give that to someone else. That's what it means to encourage someone else. And you guys are really good at that, Vineyard Cleveland. I want to encourage you and put the strength of my heart into you, that you're really good at that. It wasn't so long ago that we took um, a spiritual gifts inventory around the church. Where, where, are, people, where are people's heads and hearts at uh, within the community? And what we found overwhelmingly is that the spiritual gift of exhortation at our church is huge. What that says, the spiritual gift of exhortation, what that says is that you all love to encourage one another. You all love to see where the other person is down and raise them up. It's actually your joy to do that. And that's a really cool thing about our church here. And I want to encourage you to continue that. Keep on. Even when it's difficult for you, just know that it's more difficult for someone else that you don't know. And there is strength when you follow Jesus. There is strength in your heart left over when you follow Jesus to give to somebody else who doesn't have it. That's what the church is for. To encourage one another to bear with one another's burdens, to carry each other's burdens. That's what it means to be in the church and to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus means that you will have strength left over to give to someone else who doesn't have it yet. The strength of our heart. In the Old Testament, David was in a crisis. This is the same David who was introduced to the... Um, who was introduced to the, 
the gift of courage at an early age. Remember, it was David who uh, went to feed his brothers as they were out fighting a war. And while he was out feeding his brothers under the order of his father, Jesse, he um, heard a, a giant of over nine feet come out and mock the, uh, the nation of Israel and say, come out and fight me. And you guys know the Sunday school story that the, the armor just didn't fit David. You know, King Saul was like, okay, you're young, but you do it. And so David, so David was fitted with Saul's best armor, biggest swords, brass helmet, and it didn't fit him. And so David takes off the armor and says, you know what, I'm just going to show up as who I am. That's what courage does. Courage doesn't put on a show and try to wear someone else's armor. Courage, like David, is learning early on in his life, wears the armor that was given to him and him alone. And that is trusting in God. And so you guys know the story. David trusts in God and he goes to the stream side. Maybe he fishes a little bit before he picks up the smooth stones. I'd like to think so. And he picks up five smooth stones. And his enemy laughs at him, mocks him. Who are you? Who, who is Israel sending to fight me? You know, so much arrogance coming out of his mouth. But the Lord is with David. And David takes courage. He learns courage there. And later in his life, we see that those habits come back to visit him. He returned home from fighting a battle with his mighty men. We read in Scripture only to, to discover that the town where he had been living had been burned down to the ground in his absence. All of the women and children had been taken, including his loved ones. There was nothing left of the, ground, of the town. It was burnt to the ground. There was crying, we read in the scripture, there was weeping all over the town, and then the mood changed from grief to anger with the people. And that anger, as it shifted from grief to anger, landed squarely on the person of David. They even plotted to, uh, in their cunning plans to put David to death. They're planning on stoning him. And then we read one of the most powerful verses in the whole of Scripture. David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David, catch it, strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This has become a really powerful verse for me over the years. When nothing seems to go right, when you're in a season where it just seems like... Um, the money's not there. The relationship isn't clicking. You're betrayed by your friends. All of these things. This is a verse of uh, consolation for me. And I want to unpack it with you in hopes that I would strengthen your hearts today. Or rather that the Lord would. So how do we do it? How do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? It's really annoying but the writer of 1 Samuel doesn't tell us how to do it. There's no like pert five-step Cosmo plan that says, okay, here's what you do. Step one, 
to strengthening yourself in the Lord. We don't get that. It's super annoying. A lot of times in the Bible, we don't. We don't get how-tos. We, we love how-tos in America. We're like, well, just give me the brass tacks. Three-step plan. Life is not that simple sometimes, is it? Instead, it just seems to come to David, the most natural of choices to make was to strengthen himself in the Lord. You see, over the course of his life, and I believe starting with that interaction with Goliath, with the giant, with the enemy back in the day, maybe even before as he's out humbly tending sheep in the middle of nowhere alone, David learns to take courage, and it becomes this reinforcing rod into his soul that was unbreakable under pressure. You know, the roots of his mind and his heart had grown and grappled around the solidness of God's character. We see it start there on the battlefield with Goliath. And we see it culminate here in 1 Samuel 30. That he's strengthening himself where? In the Lord. In the character of God. We learn from David here that strength of heart comes from the Lord. Nowhere else. You can search and search and search for strength in all of the different places that society and culture offer. And sure, some of those things might be good things, and they might give you strength for a little bit. But ultimately, our strength is in the Lord, because you know what? Those things will fail you. They will. But the Lord will not. God will not. He's wrapping his heart, he's wrapping his mind around the solidness of God's character. That he believes that God is who he says he is. And no matter what happens to him, that God's character will remain solid for him. That's where strength is for David. Okay, so we've been talking a lot about trees at Vineyard Cleveland. Who was here when I talked about the redwood trees and the network of roots that are not too deep, but that are all connected together? As an example of Christian community, the redwoods only grow in groves, and they're super old, and they're super tall, tallest trees on the planet out there in Yosemite, but their roots are so shallow. How can trees so tall withstand years of thunderstorms Uh, millennia of thunderstorms without toppling over. It's because each one is connected to the other one. And that's how these giant redwood trees are able to stand so firm when the storm does come. Well, I'd like us to take a look at another tree this morning. You guys didn't know you were getting a biology lesson this morning. These are the trees that are off the coast of New Zealand. And New Zealand is a special place Not just because the Lord of the Rings was filmed there. Although it is a special place because that's where Hobbiton is. I want to go there someday to Hobbiton. That'd be fun. New Zealand's a really special place because these trees on the coast experience something that 
uh, no trees over the face of the earth experience. They experience these cold Arctic winds that just all of the sudden whip through the island of New Zealand. And it happens all of the time. You can tell by their shape. Don't they remind you of like Doc from Back to the Future? Great Scott Marty! It's like this kind of like blow your hair back. They're like standing, 21.2 gigawatts of power! You know, they look like Doc from Back to the Future. See, these winds that are blowing up from Antarctica, they leave nothing unchanged. These winds shift everything around them, everything that they touch. Yet, these trees have stood the test of time. The wind has sculpted them, you see, into something beautiful, almost artistic when you look at it. Just beautiful pieces of creation. Through both storms and stillness, they develop ties to the shallow bedrock below them. On the coast, it's really rocky ground underneath. It's not very fertile soil on the coast. So here's what I learned. That microscopically, what's happening is that there are small root hairs that draw out water and nutrients from the thin soil. And then they bind themselves to the surrounding presence. So where there's no soil, the root hairs of these New Zealand trees will start to bind themselves to bedrock below. And that is the invitation for us. That we would be like in community, the giant redwoods in Yosemite, though our roots don't go deep, that they are connected with all of the other roots around us, and that also we be like these trees on the coasts of New Zealand, that the root hairs would draw water and nutrients from the bedrock in such a way that it actually surrounds itself around the bedrock, so that when the winds blow and when the storms rage, we will still stand. And that in the presence of God, in his presence. Okay. Still don't know how we do that. <laughs> I, I hear you. I, I, I really get it. How, okay, how do we do? Okay, so because, because um, okay, here are three. <laughs> here are three ways that may work for you or may not. Here are threes. Uh, we proactively build a relationship with God. We invest into that which we cannot see. It seems like the most counterintuitive and illogical and foolish thing to do. But the writer of Hebrews also tells us that the most secure things in our lives are not the things that we can see. Now that sounds really stupid. Are you trying to tell me that love is more real than this pulpit, than those chairs, than the people I'm looking at? Are you trying to tell me that joy is more real than this microphone or, or this guitar or those trees? The, writers, the writer of Hebrews seems to think so. 
The writer of Hebrews says that we are to put our hope in the things that we cannot see. That's crazy. How, how do we do that? I think some of it lies in building this relationship with God, even when it doesn't feel like we can. Even if it feels stupid. Even if people from the outside make fun of you. To choose to build into that relationship, to keep him center. No matter what's going on around you, that you build into that relationship with God. And we do that through really practical ways. We do that by waking up early in the morning when no one else is around. And, you know, I know we're not the best at it. There are three fingers pointed back at myself. But just choosing to get up and say, you know what, I'm going to start these first five, ten minutes of the day in the scriptures. I'm going to open the word of God. I'm going to read the Bible. And I'm going to read it as if it's God's very word to me. We can take time with our small group and worship together. Isn't it such a weird thing that Christians, when we get together, we sing? It's so weird. We're going through a tough time. What do we do? We sing. We're, we're like loving life right now. Things are going great. What do we do? We sing. It's so crazy. Nowhere else in society does that happen. We're just going to sing right now. But it's such a gift. Worship is about him, but it's a gift to us as well. We're told in scripture that God inhabits, lives in the praises of his people. And when we lift him in worship, not as our aim, but a byproduct is that he fills us. That we find strength in the places that have previously been weary or weak. He encourages us. This is what it means to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Journaling can be powerful. Who are journalers out there? Who writes? Who's a writer? A few of you? You guys love to journal? So healthy to write those thoughts out to God. It's in those old journals. Have you ever taken out an old journal of yours and looked at what you've written? What kind of profound experience is that? Isn't it wonderful to see where you once were and where you are now? And you wouldn't have it if you weren't like, you know what, God, I'm just going to write stuff to you. Some of you I know from your stories are really encouraged right now through writing. Just writing it out. Just getting it out. See, it's in these really like practical ways that we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Secondly, we remember the stories. We remember the stories. We remind ourselves of times when God supported and strengthened us. And if it could, it could go through it once back then, then we can go through it again. We remind ourselves. We remember the stories. Courage is transferable. It's one of the few things that is. Jesus, we'll talk about here in a second. Jesus, Jesus says for us to take courage, to take it. And when we encourage someone else, we give it, which tells me that courage is transferable. That's why the writer of Revelation says that we overcome. We, we, we work through we get past, we work towards God. 
by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. This tells me, courage is transferable. It tells me that your story of how God is faithful to you could be the very thing that saves someone else's life. I'm not overdramatizing it. I'm really just not. That's really what's happening. When you share your story of how God was faithful in your life, it gives that story permission to be duplicated and multi- multiplied in someone else's life. I, I can't underscore enough how, how real it is. And all you need to do is think about a time when someone else was going through a tough time and made it through on the other side and starts sharing that with you in the hope that starts bubbling up from within you. If God could do it for them, you might say, that person, God made, it, made, it, made them shine. God brought them through it. If he can do it in them, he can do it in anybody, me. Right? We'll have a time next Sunday uh, where we'll, sh- we'll share, we'll practice this. We'll have God stories in the house. Some of you have already signed up for that. I've reached out to some of you. If you have a God story that you've uh, experienced God's love, his movement, his faithfulness in your life, I want to hear about it. Would you grab me after service and say, hey, I want to share my story with the rest of the people next Sunday. And you'll hear from different people around the community how God is moving in their lives and changing their lives. And it'll encourage you to hold on to the Lord too. And lastly, we create signposts. When the storm hits, we easily forget about the bedrock we have available to us. It could be some verses that you put on a fridge magnet or some other sort of physical reminder. But we are very physical, aren't we, human beings? And we need, we need to see it. We need to see it. So whether it's like a scripture verse that you keep on your bathroom mirror, or it's through the journaling process, or whatever it is, create signposts. Create signposts that point you toward the strength of God's character. So that when you are in a season of depression, when you are just feeling it from all sides at work, you can look at your bathroom mirror with that little scripture verse. He said, I put that up there three months ago. You see what I'm saying? Create signposts that point to the strength of God's character. Yeah, Jesus spoke in John 16, 33. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. When we're afraid, in John, Jesus connects taking courage with the sense of not being overwhelmed by fear. There's insight in this for us to show us that the way to overcome anxiety and fear is by taking heart. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Not if, but when. When trouble comes, take heart. Take courage. Jesus always speaks in love. 
The language of the enemy is fear. The language of anxiety uh, of the enemy is anxiety. The language of God is love. So that's okay. So that's all. That's all I want to say. Oh, other than the sweet Ralph Waldo Emerson quote, I'll leave you with this, and then we'll stand. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, Whatever you do, you need courage. Whatever course you decide upon, there's always someone that's going to tell you that you're wrong. There are always difficulties arising that tempt you to believe your critics are right. To map out a course of action and follow it to an end requires some of the same courage that a soldier needs. Peace has its victories, but it takes brave men and women to win them. It's going to take courage in the second half of the year. You watch. Now is the time to strengthen yourself in the Lord. These moments, January to June, let's make it our aim, Vineyard Cleveland, to to walk this vision out. That in our gathered times here on Sundays, we be a people of peace and refuge. That people will be able to find peace when they walk through those doors. That your house would be a place of peace amidst all the chaos that's going on, that when people walk through your door, they experience the peace of God to the tune of like, I don't even know what it is about your apartment, man. There's something about it. I just feel peaceful when I'm here. Have people said that to you before? I don't know what it is about your house. It's just like peaceful here, that we would be a a people with peaceful houses. When the storm is raging around us, that our houses will be filled with peace. And I hear you, People with little ones, <laughs> my house will never be that. I got it. You got toddles running around. I hear that. But even, get this, you guys, even a house that's filled with the presence of Jesus with chaotic toddles running around is still more peaceful than like 90% of the households out there. You have to believe me. You have to. It just is. Why? Because the, you've chosen to put the presence of God first and foremost center in your house no matter how many kids are running around in diapers or diapers need changed the peace of Christ dwells in your house that we would be that people who bring the peace of Jesus why don't you join me in standing we're going to respond and worship